Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. And welcome to Cable Across Apologetics. We are working our way through Scott Christensen's book, right? Uh, what about evil, right? The uh, defense of God's sovereign glory. And so we are in chapter 11, where he is telling us the story of the scriptures in terms of the narrative of the scriptures and showing that uh, he's using this as a defense of how a theodicy works to explain you know, the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. And he says the theodicy is the story of the scripture, right? That's, that's the basic uh, uh, pretext of what he's getting at here, right? right? right. And uh, we've reached that point in the story now where the uh, man and his wife have fallen in the garden and sin has come in and paradise has been lost, right? right? And so he's, he's working his way through what, uh, you know, Freytag's uh, pyramid, and we've looked at the exposition of creation and fall, and now we're going to move to rising action, the movement toward redemption. Right, right. right. It, it doesn't just uh, stop at Genesis 3. Why, why, why are there so many more pages? Yeah. Well, good. Good that yeah. there is more pages. That's right. Uh, usually because we things. need to know the rest yeah. of the story. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> he says, what unfolds in the rising action of the story is a movement toward redemption. Right. Uh, but within that movement are multiple failures. The, the rise to redemption is a stumbling, bumbling rise toward redemption. Right. Right. At least in terms of our side of the story. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. He says we see two trajectories in the Old Testament. One arc foreshadows divine event uh, redemption. Uh, that is God's solution to the conflict. And the other arc chronicles Israel's and therefore ours as well. Failure to redeem ourselves. Right. Right. It, it shows the need for the first prong, which is God, I, you just need to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so the first glimpse of these two trajectories comes in the immediate aftermath of Adam and Eve's sin. And that's, that's the, the nice thing about it is, you know, the, the fall happens. Uh, there's, there's the, the hiding away from God and uh, ultimately here's the pronouncement. So to conceal their shame of their nakedness, the couple fashioned crude coverings from fig leaves, but the solution is insufficient. Right. So they try to deal with this yeah. themselves. We've got by, this. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Hurry yeah. up. Yeah. Before God we sees us. We can fix this. We yeah. can fix it. Right. <laughs> right. He's not going to notice anything different. We just have to do this. Here we had hoped for Adam to emerge as the comedic hero, but he disappoints. Yeah. Adam shows that every human attempts to rectify our sin racked brokenness run headlong into bankruptcy. I've got it. I'll do it myself. It's fine. I should have just given this over to, to, to dad to, to cut the straight line. (laughs) Instead, God meets Adam and Eve's failure by supplying them with adequate garments of skin. The gracious act introduces the notions of atoning blood sacrifices for the first time, prefiguring the means of redemption. Right. So notice all of this is tied up at the very beginning, right? Our the fall, our attempts to rectify it and our failures. And then God comes in with these garments and covers, right? As a picture to what we'll see in terms of redemption later on, right? We see it in the Exodus. We see it in uh, the the temple ceremonies. We see it at, at the time and place that, uh, Christ is crucified. We, we see that occurring. Yeah. So we see this in this book of or, or 66 books by some 40 odd authors, a central theme, a central story that God is working out. It's amazing, actually, when you think about it. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah. 
<laughs> so he says the cryptic promise in Genesis uh, 3.15 indicates another hint at where the redemptive uh, trajectory is going. This primordial prophecy uh, indicates that the divine author had already conceived a plot for this story before the foundation of the world. Right. Speaking to the serpent. And here's the prophecy here. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right. And so Christensen tells us that this verse has been rightly called the proto evangelium. That is the first gospel. Yeah. Right. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> and using a word picture, yeah. not just saying uh, there's going to be a guy, he's going to be, uh, you know, the second person in the Trinity, he's, yeah, he's going right, right. to sacrifice himself he, for you. You're going to kill him, but yeah. he's going to eventually right. win. And, right. you know, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's, it's a word picture. Here, here's yeah. the story. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we have here the first prophetic allusion to the one redemptive comedic hero who will defeat Satan, sin, death, and all other evils. The prophecy is full of irony crushing is bruising as a metaphor for death the death of the messiah the crushing of his heel is the precise means by which the serpent's skull as satan will be crushed for good both crushings are fatal but only one is final mm, mm, the wound yeah. to the heel will recover an allusion to the messiah's resurrection you know oh it's on my foot ouch darn mm. The wound to the serpent's head will never recover. Right, That's Hebrews right. 2. Right. He's going to be utterly defeated. So the failures of mankind, though, continue to plunge uh, as we witness how post-fall sin and alienation precipitate the first murder, right? Cain and Abel. Right? Yeah. So in a state of anarchy develops, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow, what a sad commentary. <laughs> right. So the judge then, God as judge, unleashes his just wrath by annihilating the creation through a global flood. But to preserve the seed of the woman, which is what he promised he would do, right? Um, that is the promised redemption. He graciously uh, spares Noah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you know, Here's a judgment. They're kicked out of the garden. The story doesn't end, and it, uh, you know, uh, uh, Abel or Cain is uh, aren't the aren't the chosen one. Seth, Seth becomes or not becomes, but is the one from from that line, and and so you know why isn't Seth the the the, the embodiment of Christ at that point in time? Well, God has other plans to show us that when no no when He says judgment against sin, He's going to show. The, the 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 world reading the story, the judgment of sin, something yeah. so bad that he's required to do drastic, complete action, and that's the flood. But he doesn't take everyone out, even though he could. He has the ability to judge. But what's he doing? He's he's being true to who his character is, and that's preserving his promise. That 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 covenant that he makes is preserved in the ark that he closes up. That uh, uh, two Peter talks about uh, being an, an image of Christ again, a story for a story, <laughs> and and we see that that um, it's God's character that continues the story, and ultimately He judges, but He also preserves. It, the, again, this isn't this isn't a story of Noah or or or, or you know m- mankind's story. 
it involves mankind, but it's ultimately a story of who God is. Right, it's, a, it's God's story. Right. Yeah. God then establishes the seed descendants of Abraham through a set of far-reaching promises sealed with a unilaterally binding, unconditional covenant that God will maintain. Right. The nation will be God's new vice-regents of the earth to magnify his glory. The land promised to Abraham and his descendants echoes in Eden. You will be my people and you will declare my glory and invite those people back into covenant with me. And then we'll continue on the redemptive Edenistic of the world. And right. that's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> Sets it up in the promised land that he's drawing a, a, a person out of making the small people group, a mighty nation, two mighty nations come from, from the seed of, of Abraham yeah. and, and ultimately, um, focuses the these um, central uh, actors of, of God's story in uh, in humanity uh, in um, on onto the the story that he's uh, creating mm-hmm. yeah and so um, you know but before the people of God can occupy the promised land Christensen tells us God places them uh, for 400 years in a in a long bondage to the Egyptians so that by the end of that time they would ache uh, deeply for deliverance, right? So, and then God hears the cries of his people, yeah. Exodus chapter three, and brings about a, a miraculous uh, exodus to display his redemptive power. Unfortunately, <laughs> the nation, like her, you know, parents and predecessors, Adam and Eve, repeatedly disobeyed the law given to Moses, right? Uh, who's this Yahweh guy? Uh, I mean, yeah, pillar, fire, smoke, sure. No, no, no. Golden calf. That's that's what that's we need. Right. That's what we need. Right. That's what we need to worship. Here is Yahweh yeah. in physical form. Now we can see. It. Yeah, we can see, touch, and yeah. taste, feel, whatever. Right? Oh, yeah. So close. So close. No. As her transgressions pile up, the nation incites her God to deliver her into exile in the land of her enemies. Uh, all right, I'm done with you. Uh, 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 we'll, we'll start over. No. Through the failures of the inept and immoral kings, along with the lure of every pagan form of idolatry, Israel abandons Yahweh and comes into bondage once again. Right. So this is just so sad, right? I mean, here's God now who's the creator, who put all of this together, who's who's not only telling the story, but is in the story, in and out of the story, right, in terms of, you know, fashioning clothes for Adam and Eve and I mean all kinds of things and yet and and giving of the law and through Moses and yet these people uh, like we're apt to do turn away from the creator God right right? who loves them and who's caring for them and who's trying to redeem them yeah yeah and uh you know if if we're looking at the story going those those stupid people (laughs) why don't they just get it yeah the story is there for us to read and we're supposed to look at our own lives and go me stupid. Yeah. Why don't, why I, do don't I, why do I keep it. doing this? You know, this is a, uh, this is social nations, uh, 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 you know, my, uh, uh, Gulag Archipelago where he says, uh, you know, uh, how, how can, uh, how can I, um, come to the full realization of the horrors of this is when I looked at the guard and I saw me. Mm. It, mm. So it, it's not the, the othering of people. That, that we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to see ourselves in this story right, right. because you know, how many times do we fall? of people. Right? <laughs> I tried it my own way. I don't, I don't understand how come I keep falling. Yeah. Oh, is it because I'm out of line with God's 
uh, declarative will here. Oh, that's probably, that, that might be the case. Okay, sure. <laughs> so her hopes of being redeemed by mere adherence to the law are a failure. Yet through all the defections and the occasional bright moments, God is advancing a solution to human depravity and evil. His grace is upon those who place their trust in him. He provides ever-increasing glimpses of the coming Messiah through covenant promises and prophecies like the Davidic king, uh, Solomon, uh, Rahab, uh, all these all these people that shouldn't be part of the story yeah. seem to be brought in. Especially, I mean, reading Genesis, there's such an emphasis placed on the, the firstborn. Oh, the firstborn gets the double portion. The firstborn is kind of always kind of considered the... the um, the continuation of those first fruits of, of the father. And so uh, even, even awesome Joseph, Joseph, who, who doesn't seem to do really anything wrong. Maybe when he was younger, telling his uh, brothers and father about yeah, dreams yeah. one too many times. That's right. Oh, by the way, you're going to be surfing me. <laughs> right. Just saying, you know, <laughs> it's amazing how in, in, in Genesis, the, 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 the focus is, but the second child, the, the, the subverting your expectations. Oh, sure. He, here's, here's, uh, uh, the, 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 the mighty hunter that comes in. He, he's the, the apple of his father's eye. And, and that, that, of course, that's who the Messiah will come through. No, no, it's, nah. it's the, it's the trickster <laughs> yeah, guy right. who, who, okay, his, his mom Lots can make good of food. twists and turns yeah. and yeah, yeah, unexpected things seem to happen, right. you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like you would expect in a really good story, a good right? good story, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, sure, yeah, the, 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 the perfect guy does things perfectly, okay, sure, <laughs> fine. Oh, hold on, hold on, it's the brother we're following now, I did not see this coming. Yeah. <laughs> And so we've seen the exposition of fall and creation, the rising action, right? The movement toward redemption. And now we have reached what um, uh, Christensen is calling the climax. This is the incarnation, death, and resurrection of the Redeemer, right? When all seems lost, he says, when hope is a, a rare commodity, when God's people once again come under the oppressive rule of another powerful nation, Rome, uh, a bright and mysterious star appears on the horizon, mm-hmm. Matthew chapter 2, right? At the most crucial point in the story, a most remarkable and unexpected event unfolds. So now another twist in the story, right? The author enters directly into the plot and dons the robes of humanity. Not only is this a hero, uh, uh, a man like us, he tells us, but he's also God, very God. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, and he, he enters into um, a, a humble beginning of a humble people of a, a backwater country seen insignificant that is uh, going through rebellion that, that, uh, the, the, you know, you get like third rate governors that come in <laughs> after fourth rate governors have right. failed. Uh, and, and Rome is the, the mightiest mighted that ever might. Right. I mean, it, it, it is, it is conquering the known world. And then some it's going out to Britannia and going, Oh, okay. There's more land out here. We're, we're going to take, we're going to take the, these, yeah. these guys too. Yeah. And, and creating road infrastructure that, that reaches to, uh, all po- points unknown so that, 
so that <laughs> if, if you were a Roman citizen and traveled it, no one would want to attack you because the full might of Rome would come upon you if you attacked Roman right, citizens. And all streets, all roads <laughs> led to Rome. Yeah. And so at this point, you know, you say yes, and you yell out, and you because, you know, it's finally happening. The hero is here. Yeah. And, you know, everything is going to be great, right? right? No. In baby form. (laughs) Oh, so close. (laughs) But there is another remarkable twist in this plot. Yeah, Yeah, another remarkable twist. There's more. (laughs) The Jews of Jesus' day expected the Messiah to be a warrior. Coming in, riding this horse, uh, spear, lance, uh, to to redeem (laughs) the people, the land, uh, kick out the bad guys, and, you know, uh, again, probably start, start the, the, the Edenistic uh, conquering of the world, but here's where he's going to make his stand. He's going to plant the uh, uh, flag of Israel. They had a flag at the time. And, <laughs> and in, in, in this symbol, conquer. Uh, so they saw this great warrior king that Israel, uh, the, the, he was going to be the greatest warrior king that Israel ever saw. He was going to be from the son of David. They expect a, a conventional defeat of Israel's armies, uh, enemies, their Roman oppressors. So even though Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would die an atoning death to bring about the redemption of God's people, Isaiah 52 and 53, the grand author blinds them to these realities, which again, Isaiah prophesied. And John 12 talks about this. They fail to realize that their greatest enemy is not outside of them. It's not the Romans. Yes, they're an enemy. Yes, they're doing bad things. Yes, they're subjecting you. It's not the culture. It's not uh, the Sadducees or or uh, the, the, the empty rules of, of the Pharisees, it's not even Satan. Mm. It, uh, you know, uh, in Revelation, Satan is bound up for a bit, and we're still bad. Yeah. We're still bad. <laughs> the true enemy is something deeply rooted within. Mm. Uh, hatred of your brother is like murdering him. Mm. Lusting after a woman is committing adultery. Mm. Mm. It's not outside. Those things influence. Those things are important. But ultimately, what are we trying to change? The heart. Right, right. No ordinary means of power can defeat the evil that resides in the human heart. That conflict cannot be overcome by a conventional hero. And right. we see it within the mind and heart of Adam and Eve. Right. And it's, it's yes, uh, Satan influences, but they're the ultimate deciders. And that's what needs to be changed and redeemed and made more perfect. Exactly right. And so God comes in, rips out our heart. Tears it into pieces and gives, no, 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 no. Strangely, he says, sin and evil will be vanquished by God's weakness, not his power, right? Jesus's victory will will be achieved through his uh, voluntary vulnerability before wicked men. Nobody sees this coming, he tells us. And yet in that moment of utter weakness, the greatest power in history is put on display. Right, Satan believes that he's defeated Jesus just as he defeated the first Adam. Right, right. Yeah. He's won. He's dancing. Yeah. Right, the little victory dance. Right, right. Right. <laughs> right? He's crushed the Messiah's heel. Yet uh, it seems that Satan himself is blinded to the prophecies of Isaiah. Right, that said he had to suffer, and he's blinded to his own crushing defeat. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. <laughs> so Jesus doesn't come into the world just to die. He comes to die. And rise again. Mm. The success of what the incarnate, incarnate Lord of the universe achieves on the bloody cross makes sense only when, three days hence, before decay sets in, shocked onlookers gaze into his empty tomb. 
it's the the holding of the breath. That there are three days of holding the breath. Yeah. Why, why isn't the story ending? Yeah. Why, why yeah. are there more pages to this? Right. Book? Right. What's going the, on here? The, I mean, he's dead. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a brave heart. Uh, you know, William Wallace cries freedom and dies. And you know, okay, things happen after it and stuff like that. He inspires a few people, but you know, uh, uh, Scotland still was under monarchistic rule, <laughs> and uh, you know, that's it was a good story. There's there's some redemption. There's some, but ultimately we learn, you know, is freedom worth dying for? Right. Nope. the The breath is exhaled when you take a breath in and see an empty tomb. <laughs> it's shocking. Something no one thought would come. Right. And so we move now to the. Next portion of this drama, right? He calls this the falling action. Right. This is the establishment of the Redeemer's kingdom. Jesus's uh, death and resurrection represents the climax of the story of redemption, but his ascension into heaven and exaltation at the right hand of his father marked the beginning of the falling action of the plot, wherein his kingdom is beginning to be established and takes root in the broad soils of redemption, mm. right? So, yes, he dies, but he rises again in right. an empty tomb, and he ascends into the heavens, and he is exalted at the right hand of the father, and thus redemption begins right, right right and we still see stories within the the main story uh and and you know we see it in in other stories as well you know aslan's resurrected that's that that's a a key point now it's to take out the the, the witch yeah and and that's a, a another story but here's something amazing that happened that was unexpected that was tragic and then suddenly became glorious and now we deal with the the repercussions of the climax. Right. So he's accomplished redemption. It's complete. It's it's thoroughly done. And now he's bringing in the harvest. All right. But this defeat of Satan and the forces of evil will not come easily. The progress of redemption is marked by a polarizing struggle between those whom God redeems and the uh, systemic evils that oppose it. These evils stem both from within the inner sinful corruption of the flesh. You know, it's, it's, it's a, uh, removal of, of the uh, stony heart, given the heart of flesh, but we're still in a fallen world with a fallen nature that, uh, that we're changed so that we can do good, that we can glorify God. And from without, the world, the devil, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the focus on the world at that point uh, of, of Scripture. I mean, there's, there's a reason that Apostle Paul and, and James and Jude, and they still talk about Satan. They, they talk about, you know, being a thorn, uh, he's a thorn in the flesh, uh, that he's going to come and, and, and deceive you. And there's going to be these other antichrists that come up that kind of stem from him. But ultimately, we're in conflict with the world because we're, we've been made opposite of the world. So right. we're, we're, we're mirrored from them. Uh, you know, the, the, they're the, the ones with the goatee on, on the other side <laughs> that are trying to try to conquer by the sword. So, so it's as if every Christian is playing out the redemption story in their own individual lives. Yeah. Right? yeah. The, the whole thing is being played out in our own individual lives. Right. Yeah. Which makes sense of why the spirit has to come and set in our hearts because from there, the, the temple is built in our heart and it needs to expand out mm-hmm. and it needs to expand out into our body into our mind, into our actions, into our the way we speak, the tongue, talked about a lot, especially in James, to our families, to our uh, neighbors, to our uh, church, to our government. You know, I, I you know keep going out to space, <laughs> to Mars. We need to conquer Mars in the name of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. 
<laughs> but Christ will consistently magnify his glory of the Father by transforming recalcitrant sinners and expanding his kingdom to include ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Something that shouldn't happen because we're tribal people that need to uh, ostracize ourselves from the other. No, we we tell people to come in. We're we're Israel now. We're 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 talking about. Hey, we have the 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 meeting place of God uh, that you can be uh, redeemed from and glorify Him and be in right creation. That's what you. That's what we're calling them to be in right creation. And uh, we don't call them to a building. We call them to to turn over to their a heart. Person, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. And then finally, the denouement. Uh, this is the consummation of the Redeemer's kingdom. The denouement of the story marks the consummation of Christ's kingdom when the Redeemer King remove, uh, returns rather to earth to establish his rule forever and the work of redemption is finally completed, mm-hmm. right? Then comes the end. Uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, where he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. And so at this point, several things, Christensen tells us, will happen to fully, you know, untie every loosed knot in the plot line, Mm -hmm. right? First, every follower of Christ will experience full restoration with resurrected bodies fit for life in a newly restored paradise. And again, that's an act of God. God, God does the the um, veiling like He did for for uh, Adam and Eve. He's going to veil us with a, a new resurrected body, and then He is the one that restores uh, paradise. Second, the creation itself, which was subjected to futility by God as a result of the fall, will undergo undergo its own um, bodily death. And Second Peter three, and then the redemption in Romans eight. Uh, what what he said he wouldn't do with uh, water again, next will be done by fire. Mm-hmm. And fire as an image of purification, of of burning away, of uh, you know the, the the gold refined in fire, and all the all the straw, all the the paper. Those things are burned up, and only what's left is what's good and malleable and useful to mm-hmm. God. Paradise will be restored Yay. with a new heaven and a new earth emerging from the ashes of the old creation. Paradise restored, right? And so uh, he ends this chapter, right, uh, um, by a, a kind of raising a question, right? He says, a story without evil. He says, uh, how can we be sure that this is the way that it had to be? Right. Uh, It's not uh, possible that God or is it possible, he asked us, that God could have offered a better story um, that left evil out of the picture. And he says uh, the question then is, could his glory be so primely manifested to his creatures in any other storyline? And he answers, no, we must contend otherwise. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. So was the fall good? Uh, yeah, in mm-hmm. the sense that we are, uh, see more evidence of God's character and nature, so that He can be glorified even more. So yeah. it's uh, it's it's neat. Uh, I really like this chapter, and and uh, you know, chapter ten and eleven were uh, a, a really good one. I you know, I thought nine was excellent, really, really good. <laughs> Two was also good. Uh, so um, so this is just uh, a neat way to think of. 
of, you know, you, you, you kind of hear the same story over and over again. You're like, okay, yep, I, I've read Genesis before, but now you can read Genesis just in a, in kind of that different way that um, makes you think of, oh, here's a story and here's what we're supposed to see and get out of. It's not just things happen and they happen to ultimately get to, uh, you know, 30 AD and then 33 AD and then a big event happens, sure. And then we can all wear uh, a, a symbol of a, of a, a T around our necks until, until we <laughs> die and go to heaven. Yeah. No, th- there's, there's more to the story. It's, exactly. it's, uh, it's all fitting together. And, and one of the reasons we do expositional studies and uh, Christians um, uh, not divorcing themselves from the old Testament is because uh, to divorce the old Testament is to divorce major portions of God's redemptive story arc and, and fruitful stories that we can see ourselves in and, and, um, and not only us, but also God's relationship with us. And then ultimately seeing God glorified in those moments, even at a time before uh, uh, a, a redeemer comes into the world and, and pointing towards that. That's, that's uh, the purpose of pointing towards the crux, the climax of, of human history, which is um, um, the, the incarnation and the cross and the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Pretty neat stuff. Right. So he tells us that it's not enough for a mere showing of the story though. Right. right, which is what he says, a telling of the story. He says there must be a fuller telling of its meaning to clarify its remarkable power. Uh, there must be an exposition, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. right, of the central theme that drives the plot of this grandest of all stories. There must be a theology, right, a teaching uh, of it. And so next, he says, uh, we're going to turn to that crucial explanation and thus to introduce the theodicy that makes the best sense of this particular trajectory that he's shown us. Yeah, include the propositions that we we kind of exculted out of there at first. Right. <laughs> uh, so hopefully uh, you uh, see where he's going. You uh, are enjoying uh, um, kind of um, uh, the the. the the slowness of it, and and that that's what I appreciate. Is as uh, I think Scott Christensen could have made this book probably half as much, and probably gotten the same amount of, of material out of it. But uh, but laying the foundation and and kind of um, um, uh, dealing with what's kind of been commonly accepted in kind of the academics, and then and then showing the issues with it, and then laying a foundation, and then talking about. Uh, where he's going and and how it fits into everything is exactly what we want to see in a theodicy. We we want to see not just the explanation, but a why for the why kind yeah, of deal. Good. So yeah, uh, uh, you can check out uh, the full episodes if you're watching. You can listen on all the podcast areas. You go to givethecross.com. Um, if you're listening and want to watch, we're on YouTube and uh, uh, Odyssey. Uh, so you don't have to give uh, uh, evil YouTube its, uh, its <laughs> due. Uh, we don't make money off YouTube either way, uh, but uh, it's nice that, uh, that that there are other platforms out there. And um, um, you can um, uh, check out the, the short uh, uh, cut-ups of the episode. So if, if you want to go back and say, what were they talking about? But uh, I kind of want a, a, a short, succinct um, uh, time period to listen to or to share. Uh, those are available on, on the video platforms as well. And then also uh, there's a spot on our website for the short clips. And so you can find them there. You can also find uh, book reviews. And I've been uh, doing a bunch of church history for, for kids uh, uh, at this time. And, and that's been uh, really fun to do. I'm, I'm, I'm halfway through uh, 
or not halfway, but I'm, I'm going towards my uh, year-end reading goal and I'm slightly cheating by using uh, um, these, these short books, but <laughs> it's so that I can read big books like uh, What About Evil by Scott Christensen. So thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. See you next time.